Hello and welcome to The Intentional Clinician. I'm your host, Paul Krauss, Licensed Professional Counselor. On today's episode, I am talking with Marcel Fable Price. He is the Poet Laureate of Grand Rapids, Michigan, and the author of Adrift in a Sea of M&Ms. Marcel Price self-describes himself as a biracial North American writer, teaching artist, community advocate, spoken word poet, and motivational speaker. Fable the Poet is highly noted for his work with the youth, spreading mental health awareness using his own stories to consume the audience. He says, and I quote, at times we all feel fragile. We are paper boats entertaining the waves of life. He is a partner of Mental Health America and is known across the nation for crowd interactive features that leave those attending enlightened and empowered. Buckle up, prepare to make a new friend and enjoy the ride. Thank you for joining me, Fable, (laughs) also known as Marcel. Let's jump into it. Yeah, absolutely. No, thank you very, very, very much for having me here. I'm excited for this interview. Excellent. (laughs) Me too. I saw you perform, sort of, host, MC, play some music, introduce a bunch of poets at this event, and I thought it was awesome, so then I found you afterwards and said, please be on my podcast. Yeah, that was was an absolutely incredible event. we organized a suicide awareness event at the Grand Rapids Public Library. Um, And one thing that I really, really wanted to do is I wanted to make an event that use artists and people who are survivors uh, or have struggled uh, and battled with uh, thoughts of self-harm themselves, um, all just sharing their stories. I went to a mental health festival in Sacramento, California a few months back and it was just unreal because they had like bands playing and people sharing their stories and let's just like all these people from all across the country just like sharing their hardships. So I was like, you know, we can do that in Grand Rapids with the community that we have. And so many times that I've gone to uh, mental health awareness events, um, the faces of the event all seem to look the same and it all seems to be the same structure and it tends to feel dry. And I was like, how am I going to pull in people our age? And I was like, with entertainment, with stories, with creating a space that just gets people feeling comfortable, like they can pour it all out. And with the help of Mental Health Foundation um, and a ton of incredible organizations, all the top uh, mental wellness organizations in the area all came and just offered resources so people could sign up if they needed help and just created this atmosphere of listening. And it was beautiful. Yeah, I I can't say it better myself. I was very impressed, and I liked it a lot because there were there was no kind of awkward beginning. Like we're all here today to help the da da da. Or I've been to a mental health event before where it felt like it was hopeless. It was like, well, we're all screwed, and we all have mental illnesses, and I think we could just take medications and go home. This was. Uh, it felt like a rock concert in a library in the 1800s. I think that's when it was built or something. And basically, for people who weren't there, uh, hopefully you can come to the next event that Fable puts on with the Mental Health Awareness Group or the Be Nice is part of that Be Nice organization in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, but basically, people got on stage and either told their story or did a poem about their story and... Fable even played one of his songs, and it was really cool. And I think a lot of people were really moved. I I was watching the audience, and we had to they had to pull in a bunch more chairs. It was overflowing yeah. uh, event, which was you know at a library you just don't expect that. When I was thinking I was going to the library, I thought it was going to be some sort of handshake event. Yeah, and it was 
definitely fun and people were crying and I think a lot of people were moved and I was one of the organizations there for my for Health for Life Grand Rapids. I was there with a bunch of other organizations and then people could come up and ask us questions and it was cool because we were just giving them resources if they didn't know where to go for certain yeah. things. So I really appreciated that event. It was awesome. Well, thank you very, very much. <laughs> so hopefully you're going to do some more like that around. Yeah, I think we're definitely going to do it again in the future. Um, I think we're going to probably try to run it as an annual event um, and just choose a different nonprofit each time that the proceeds go to. Um, there's definitely, I'm my hardest critic, so there's little tweaks, but me being my hardest critic and hearing nothing from positivity, nothing but positivity from like the outside in feels really good. But now I know like the little tweaks that I need to, to make it better and to make it fit as many people as I feel that I know we can bring in the future. So, it'll be good. so it sounds like it's just, it's going to get bigger. Is that what I'm hearing? Maybe. I think it's going to get a little bit bigger. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, um, you call me up because I don't mental health awareness month. I can't, I think is April. Or I'm sorry, May. Uh, someone's probably going to write me and tell me I'm wrong. But there's lots of awareness days. So, I mean, it would be cool to yeah. even make something bigger and see who, who we could get in the community to yeah. sponsor it. And I definitely think we can. And I've talked to a few different organizations, places like DGRI um, and people who do massive work uh, in the city. But I think that each year I'm going to try to like grow it a little bit bigger than it was the year before. I think next year I'm just going to try to shoot for like 200, 250 people and put it in a, a venue where there's beverages that we can bring in places like Founders um, and donate those proceeds to the organizations as well and just like little things like that. But, I like it. I think yeah. this is a great idea. So I guess we'll find out what happens. Yeah. So stay, stay tuned, everyone. You could follow Fable on the internet. It, Fable the Poet, I think is how you, well, yeah. we'll get to that. So, um, but I, I wanted to bring you on the show to talk about a variety of things, whatever we kind of come up with, but I really kind of want to know more about you and uh, your story. I also have a question about how you, how you became the Poet Laureate and how long you get to be the Poet Laureate, but I yeah. guess we'll. Um, so, Poet Laureate, um, how I became to be the Poet Laureate. Uh, every three years uh, is when the term for your laureateship runs out. Um, and the library puts together a committee. Um, a committee of people who are pretty much literary professionals in the city of Grand Rapids. Mm -hmm. um, it's uh, a committee of five individuals who range from poets in the community to professors at colleges um, to heads of the library. And if you want to become Poet Laureate, you send in your CV, you send in your artist resume, um, and then they weigh out all the candidates, all the people who are applying and then they choose their top individuals, and then they start chiseling it away from there um, until they have their top five. Um, and this year they had their top five, and it was a tie between me and one other person, and we kind of did like an interview off, like the things that we want to accomplish and the things that we want to do. Um, and lucky, I can talk really good, so <laughs> I got it. Yeah, good, you nailed but, the interview. <laughs> yeah, but he was, he's an incredible human being, uh, the other individual, and I can yeah. only imagine that in the future he's going to become the Poet Laureate, um, just because he does incredible, incredible work. Um, he's a college professor as well, um, but all of our Poet Laureates in the past have been college professors, and I'm very, oh. very different than yeah. any other Poet Laureate in the past. I'm the first individual of the color um, I'm the youngest individual by like 25 years How old in city history, 29 now. Okay. Right. Um, I think the youngest is like 45. Um, 
so I'm very, very different than the, the other laureates of city past. <laughs> yeah, well, I was wondering, like, I think that poetry is very important for the community. And I remember I was, I don't know if you know who Paul Muldoon is, but he's a po- Irish poet and he lived over in America half the year now, some teaching somewhere at hmm. some university. But he did a lot of poetry because he was... Um, in Belfast during the time when the IRA was blowing everybody up yeah. and there was like all these wars between the Catholics and the Protestants in Northern Ireland. And he, him and a bunch of other poets of, they called it the troubles at the time of the troubles did all this poetry to kind of bring out the humanity. And then it wasn't like they credited the poets with stopping the violence, yeah. but they did credit the poets with getting people to be able to speak up and use their voice. That's huge. And eventually people were like, why are we fighting about what church we go to and shooting each other? This is stupid. Yeah. And they, and they pretty much have stopped doing that. It's yeah. mostly just kind of like a political fight now. So, but I was thinking about what the heck, why don't we have several poet laureates like the, poet laureate the vice poet laureate and like poet laureate junior right. like a young one like a teenager or something i yeah. think that'd be cool because you're like sounds like they were all 45 year old white dudes that were becoming poet laureate which is nothing wrong with that but why yeah. don't we just mix it up and have more poetry yeah and one thing i definitely agree with that we could use in the future that a lot of cities do um i think poet laureates in the city of grand rapids we've only had six um i think i'm the sixth or seventh um, so we haven't had many, it's fairly new, um, and Grand Rapids system for being a poet laureate could use a lot of work. Um, there's like large stipends that go to other poets in other states. Like if you're the poet laureate in Philly or Detroit, like there's a major amount of compensation behind that, that you can use and invest in other projects to like fuel all these missions. Oh, okay. Um, and Grand Rapids doesn't really have that. But one thing that I feel like we could definitely use moving forward and in the future is a youth poet laureate. I feel like that would be huge um, just to show a lot of students to like, hey, once again, your your story, your voice, your your skills are of note. And like we are going to continue to push you in this direction. I feel like that would be huge for sure. Like that idea. Yeah. Hopefully somebody's listening that will help with that. Yeah. Or we can, <laughs> you can write something up at the end of your term, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Some good idea. Um, well, I kind of want to know also about you, You as much as you want to say about anything really about yourself and uh, poetry and anything anything you want to talk about yeah. related to you so our listeners can get to know you a little bit. I guess moving in reverse order, um, I'm leaving on Sunday um, to go back on tour uh, for six months of the year this year. I'll be touring. Um, and now we're like probably like – I'd probably say three quarters of the way through, maybe 40% of the way through. Um, but I'll be leaving on Sunday to go to the East Coast, to go to the DMV area. We'll be doing shows in Virginia, D.C., uh, Baltimore area. Um, at the venue, Busboys and Poets will be featuring out there. When I say we, I mean me and my tour mate, KFG, uh, who spoke at the event as well. Okay. Um, we are currently on a tour called the Unpacking Tour. And it's all about touching down and unpacking, talking about issues, everything from your mental health to uh, cultural identity to gender identity um, to just unpacking whatever you need to unpack. And we do like interactive exercises, which gets the crowd to like notice mm-hmm. like, oh, this is what all my peers are going through. This is what everybody around me is going through um, and just getting everybody in the room to 
unpack and talk about like these are the stressors that I'm currently battling. Um, and we'll be there for a week and then we'll be coming back to Michigan and then end of December we'll be in Texas for a week doing shows, San Antonio, Houston, Austin, Dallas. Um, and then the first week of November we'll be heading out to Seattle, Colorado, Utah. Um, and then in January we'll be doing shows all throughout the East coast, everywhere from New York to Florida. Um, and after that, we'll be back in schools. When I say we, I mean me and my collective, the diatribe. Last year, we were in 30 different schools. Um, oh, great. In the next two years, I think we'll be in between 30 and 50 schools. I love that name, the diatribe. Yeah. That is speak out for a cause or a Yeah, that's so cool. <laughs> slash the tribe. I don't know. Yeah. That's cool. So you're in schools in Michigan, are you? Or yep. around area? in even other states or just mostly Michigan? Me personally, when it comes to mental health work, I travel all over the country and sure. I will do workshops and assemblies. The diatribe is rooted in Michigan. Okay. Um, so we do work all over Michigan when it okay. comes to getting the youth to talk about identity, masculinity, uh, mental health, just a lot, a wide array of topics. Okay. Um, and that's what we do here in Michigan. We're trying to work to the point of where we allocate enough funds from donations and our work and grant funding to where in the next three years we'll be able to have a youth center or creative space. Oh, really? Yeah. Like a That's like a drop-in center? Or um, like where you could come? Or just like something where you have events? More of like a place that we have events that the youth can organize events and that they can work the door and figure out the ins and outs of the business to teach them like basically like business basics when it comes to artistry because okay. a lot of people don't learn that and they're just like i don't know how to do this as an artist right <laughs> um so teaching those young artists the ins and outs of it um teaching them how to do everything from building a press kit to expanding their network to working with organizations to throwing events um to compensating other artists um and also building a space that students can come and they can hang out after school um, and that they can pick up books of poetry and leave books of poetry um, and just share with their peers from all over Kent County. That's ideally the goal. That sounds cool. Yeah. <laughs> we have a lot of space in the city, so it would be really cool if somebody donated you a space, but I understand yes. that you might have to pay for it. So we'll yes. figure that out. But yeah. we, have a lot of, we have a lot of space here. And, and the city is very supportive of nonprofits. Yeah. Right. And we are a 501c3. Um, what is the name of your 501 C3. The diatribe. The, that's the name of it. Yeah. Okay. That is our nonprofit. That is our put organization. that into search engines, mostly Google. Yeah. The diatribe LLC, Michigan, Grand Rapids. Yep. Or you can okay. look up the diatribe org oh, or facebook.com The or diatribe there. over there. Okay. That's, that sounds good. So <laughs> okay. we're 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 being found. That's good. So hopefully people are writing that down. Maybe they're listening to this while driving. So don't write that down. If you're yeah. driving. But, <laughs> You can save this podcast. So I like that a lot. I, I, I already can see that you've got a strength-based approach to working with youth and getting them motivated. Also, I also, because I asked about a drop-in center, which is more like, I'm having trouble. I'm dropping in. And I already hear like, you're like, hey, come to our events, come to our space, but we're already treating you like you're succeeding. Mm -hmm. Like we're already treating you as if you have skills that you just don't know of. And 100%. so I already, I heard that. So I love that because that actually is a huge part of um, mental health when it comes to counseling, which is, um, you know, first of all, unconditional love toward, you know, unconditional positive regards what they call in counseling, but really just lifting somebody up, seeing um, their strengths, not picking on them, 
and then uh, letting them start to see that and reflecting that. But also you are pulling on education because there's a technique called scaffolding where you basically assume that the kid is up at a higher level than they think they are. Mm -hmm. And then they pass that level usually quite easily or they just need some help when they figure out where their weaknesses are and what their strengths are. But I like that a lot because it almost sounds like and then your your whole uh, your shows that you're putting on. It seems like totally like group therapy with a performance aspect because back in the day, let's see, 2002, 2003, I remember going to visit my friend in New York City and we went to some poetry bars. I can't remember what they were, but the New Yorkian, I don't know, famous poets hung out there. I'd have to like look it up. The Bowery. The Bowery. It was the Bowery. Thank you. And I went there and there was really cool poetry happening, spoken word poetry and I liked it a lot. And um, but after the performance, people would go talk to the artist, which is cool. So it sounds like that was you've taken that. But then you're like, OK, now we're going to incorporate the audience in the show. Because yeah. when I was there, like the people that the audience liked it, they would go talk to the poet. I think I bought a poetry book or a CD or something. Mm-hmm. And then um, that was cool. And we all talked for 10 minutes. But there wasn't a there was, you know, 100 more people there at the Bowery. That's so funny that you knew that. Anyway, th- th- there's 100 more people there that didn't interact except to say, like, oh, that was neat or whatever. Yeah. So that can draw them out and actually have an experience, a tr- possible transformative experience by mm-hmm. participating, especially with youth. Like, I've, I've been to a lot of these spots and featured in red at a lot of these spots um, from New Yorkan in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm very familiar with the Bowery um, in places all over the United States. And that's one thing that I wanted to bring back in build but tweak here in West Michigan is that we have an uh, incredible scene. Our show every Monday packs out to capacity. A lot of the shows that we do um, are busy and as busy as spaces that we do the shows will allow. Um, but we wanted to also make it a very, like a, an experience that has give and take with the audience. Yeah. Um, one thing that like the library always says in West Michigan mental health foundation said is like you create a space that like, people feel comfortable talking in like they feel comfortable like ex- expressing and letting out what they need to let out like we had a student at that event who came up to us and was like hey um this is my mom um i just want to let you know that i've been struggling a lot and i was really hesitant to come here uh because my mom keeps telling me hey i should talk to somebody but it's like you don't want to listen to your mom all the time but <laughs> i was listening to you guys and it made me realize like this is something that I do need to like start talking about and going through. And there was like a, a parent who posts on Facebook who I'm not even friends with, who somebody tagged me in and their child was like, Hey mom, um, they're eating dinner. And he's like, I've always looked at my anxiety as like a wall and I've been on this side of the wall and everybody else is on the other side of the wall. But now I realize that like me and a lot of my peers are all like looking at the wall and it's just like the wall is just made of different things. And we're all just trying to climb it at the same time. And like the mom was like sobbing. She's like typing this. She was sobbing in her salad bowl. But it's like <laughs> that's that's 100% of what it's about. Is it's about sharing stories and being vulnerable and encouraging other people to do the same. And like you said, scaffolding. Like showing people that there's like not a roof to how high they can climb. And you are here and you can go higher. Um, but doing that with our poetry community. Right. And having that trickle down into other areas. Because it's not about always building the best poet, the next up-and-coming poet. Right. Um, it's about building individuals who 
their community can be proud of or their city can be proud of. Yeah, so they don't have to be a professional poet or be going into show business or musician business, but if they participate and write a poem, that's cool. And they, but if they're listening to poetry and being part of the community, that can influence whatever else they decide to do when they're older for a job or a hobby. And poetry can always be a hobby, it sounds like, is what you're saying. So you're just letting anybody come. They don't have to be a a poet or, you know, an aspiring poet at all. It's just for for everybody. So I do, I like that a lot. Uh, I want to ask more questions, but real quick for our listeners, where is your show every Monday when you're not on tour? Uh, every Monday, even when I'm oh, touring, I have two touring? other hosts. Then. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that was an assumption. There's three of us that organize this okay. show. Um, right. But it is every Monday at Stella's Lounge. It is 21 and up. Okay. Um, so for the younger individuals, there's poetry shows all over town. If you go to my website, mindoffable.com, mm-hmm. there's a tab that says Grand Rapids Poetry. Okay. Um, and you can find shows that are all ages. They're almost every night of the week. But our show is every Monday in... It's Stella's Lounge. Okay. Um, and it is very rowdy. It's very in your face. It starts at 8.30. The doors are at 8. If you get there by 8.45, 9 o'clock, you're probably not going to have a seat. Um, but you can still stand and take it in. That sounds good. I'm going to have to come to that some night. <laughs> it is a weeknight. I'm getting old. so yeah. but I, I'll, 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 I'll definitely come out. I'll, I'll just block off a Tuesday morning yeah. and that's come the, out. That sounds like a strategy. good time. That is one thing I've been impressed with the city that's helping your the movement that you're putting together is that um, I've been impressed with the amount of uh, positive organizations that are helping the community. I've been impressed with the amount of music i'm now knowing more about poetry there's a lot of poetry going on and a ton of art a ton of music and music tons of tons of artists tons of musicians and we'll do not realize that about grand rapids yeah there is a really good artist scene here yeah well, <laughs> and we had art prize which is sort of our gargantuan yeah. thing but even besides that which is three weeks of people coming and looking at art from all over the world yeah um but besides that there's just seems to be here just a lot of artists and of all of all stripes so that's been really refreshing it's almost like too much yeah i thought oh i'm, I'm going to be in a smaller city now i mean it's not that small but smaller compared to what i was used to living in i mean smaller compared to a lot of things i mean people right. go to louisville and they think like louisville is a medium-sized city but grand rapids is smaller than that but in many ways i feel like it feels bigger than that yeah um it's definitely a small big city yeah, it's definitely got that feel. So I'm I, I'm glad that you're on the scene here and doing what you do. And I think it's obviously helping a lot of people and a lot of kids. Um, could you tell me more about how you got into poetry and and how maybe that affected your journey that you ended up here? It's... Yeah, so I was I was failing out of a high school English class, um, and a teacher uh, at my high school made a deal with me that if I turned in a piece of creative writing every day, um, that she would pass me and it started off with like kind of like short stories and kind of like fictional essays and then grew to kind of like prose and lyrics and hip hop. And at the end of the year, she was like, have you ever thought about being a writer for a living? And I was like, no, I did this past the class. So my mom would like ground me and take away my video game. TV. <laughs> like that's, that's why I did this. Um, but she sent me to a writer's camp at uh, the King Chavez Parks program, the KCP program. It's all a black-brown organization um, that they do every year on the east side of the state. And 
it was at University of Michigan, and there was a writer's program by the Ann Arbor Poetry Slam team at the time. Um, and they really made me fall in love with poetry and showed me that poetry could be anything that I wanted it to be. And I could take it anywhere that I wanted to take it. Um, and that's really what I do now. And now I kind of like pay that forward by working with the youth and showing them that poetry can be anything that they want to be, um, that they want it to be. And kind of like taking very non-traditional routes with my poetry um, and just taking it to new heights every single year and every single month, and every single day. And now it's like, I don't know been really really cool that's awesome so <laughs> yeah. basically that was started when you were how old now when you, uh, when you were in high school 16 17 so so for the past 13 years you've been mostly doing poetry yeah um for 16 years i've been writing i've been performing everything from high school talent shows to open mics to with organizations um, but for the last three years, it has been like my full time. Like, this is how I pay my bills. This is how I sleep. This is how I continue to invest in what I do. Um, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I can't remember, but there's some song about how nobody's happier than a poet that just got paid. I don't remember who wrote that song. If somebody's out there, email me that. Uh, but I think that's pretty awesome that it's actually become a career and, not only, I mean, it seems like you're doing it in several ways. You've got your, which I want to ask about, but you've got your poetry book. Mm -hmm. You have some sort of music poetry mm -hmm. going on. Plus you do shows all over. Mm -hmm. And then part of your shows, you're helping people. It's not just about reading the poetry, which is yeah. awesome. And then you do all this work with the youth, which I think is so important. Um, I, I don't have the statistics on this, but I know for a fact that arts programs are getting cut all over the nation. Oh, yes, where I lived in Phoenix, I lived near uh, my one of my jobs when I worked on the west side in with um, the, uh, a very difficult neighborhood. Mm -hmm. I actually looked up uh, the school rankings and the high school that was near my office was one of the worst high schools in the United States in it. terms of graduation rates. Yeah. And so I know for a fact they didn't have any arts there. Um, and uh, even even in other public schools in uh, Phoenix and even some of the Chicago schools where I lived, um, they were cutting arts, cutting music, cutting almost everything but gym class. Depends on the state law. I think you have to have gym class at some point uh, in your career. But I, I think that's really taking uh, a, a wealth of our culture out of schools and not that schools need to be the place to you know, you're there to learn, but there's more to learning than just reading and math and languages and science. There's a part about being a human. And I think that a lot of teachers are doing a really good job and devoting their lives, getting paid terrible wages to help kids, yeah. which is awesome. But I also feel like um, we're, we're not investing. Uh, I, I don't know. I wouldn't say everybody, but I'd say in terms of like the state or the government is not investing in schools the way we should. I know that there are private schools. Yeah. Uh, I know in Phoenix there was two very fancy private schools that had chess and tennis and orchestra and jazz band and rock band and everything. And yeah. uh, but they weren't. It, that was very. There was only two schools that I knew of that had that. Well, I mean, the sad thing about that is, is that in a very, very simple way to look at it, is. Anybody who's listening to this can think back to high school and think about that that kid who was just wailing on the trumpet or wailing on the drums right. that like led for his or her love of 
being in a band or wanting to be a jazz musician or that person in right. choir who was right. just like bellowing or like that right. led to them being in the church choir and like that taught them to sing or that person who was a writer in their poetry class was like, man, even since seventh, eighth grade, him or her were just doing incredible things. And it's like now if we're cutting all these arts programs, it's like where are kids going to learn that? Like nine times out of ten, they're not going to learn that at home. They're not going to learn to pick up a trumpet or a saxophone. Yeah. It costs money. Home. Yeah, it, you have to get lessons. That costs money. Right, and especially if you are low middle income right. in America, like you're not going to have the money for a saxophone. Well, and that's most of like, America now is low middle income. <laughs> if you've looked at the statistics, that's in the last five years. There's it's a huge gap. But I mean, all in all, our education system is really, really, really outdated. I mean, we use the same system that we've used since forever. <laughs> like, like right. And we do not have the same economy. We do not have the same issues that we did during the Great Depression, but we use the same the same system. Like, we don't teach students how to budget. That's, yeah. We don't have sex education that matches where outreach, like, where you can soak that in matches reality. That matches reality. <laughs> um, so we wonder why we raise broken boys who learn from the internet and we wonder why we raise people who are like so in their shell because they're busy putting themselves out on instagram all the time and like we're the image the, the image right. the immediate gratification the the likes the likes the and parents who aren't used to giving all this gratification all the time so they reach out to the internet it's like we're we're just way behind in so many things <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a huge cultural <laughs> issue that's vast because it is affecting not only our culture but and how people are are growing up like you're you know it is true i i I work with a lot of youth in my counseling practice and i've seen anxiety just skyrocketing and depression skyrocketing and, and it's almost i mean i'm glad now counseling is more mainstream so people are bringing their kids to counseling but it's like I couldn't believe how many kids are needing it, like clinically needing it, where I think with some environmental adjustments, like oh, every yeah. kid's going to go through a hard time, like no matter where you grow up and if you have money or no money or what neighborhood, you're going to have difficulties just growing up. There's going to be different milestones and um, uh, places where you're going to need extra support. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it's important. So. I mean, school is for some people the place they get that, but now our teachers are getting stretched and we don't have these art pro. There's not the self-expression. So <laughs> where's the self-expression? And then also the mixing. There, there is, uh, Some kids I've even talked to recently, this is, I won't say who or where, but have told me that they feel like they're stressed out and anxious and depressed because everything's too competitive. It's oh, almost yeah. like hyper-competitive because they're scared about getting into a college or even getting into a trade school or being able to get a job post-graduation that isn't um, like fast food. Mm-hmm. So um, it's it's interesting. And then we're wondering why mental illness rates are up, alcohol consumption's up yeah. among everyone in the U.S. Alcohol yeah. consumption's up right now and uh, drug use is up and suicide's up uh, in some polls. I don't know. I don't know about that uh, in terms of, I, I know it's up compared to like, when the economy was doing better in yeah. two th- in, back in the early 2000s. So comments about that. Um, I mean, you can, you can just see from everything that's going on around you exactly why we are at where we're at. And 
I feel like through little tweaks, like people are like, oh, but people don't always have the answers. People don't, you don't know how things are going to work. I've seen with, for example, schools in Grand Rapids, there's the Grand Rapids Museum School, uh, the Lyceum School. And they do a very, very simple concept that like people don't think of like, oh, I want diverse arts programs. How do I do this? But they cut stipends out for artists to do after school programs at their schools. Oh wow. So for example, if other schools adapted this model, you could bring in a local comedian to teach those class clowns how to be comedians. Right. You could bring in poets that teach those kids who aren't athletic or maybe they are athletic and they just also want to write and have their voice like out there. You can teach these young people how to submit their poems to contests and how to perform and like how to share their voices in a positive way. Those people who want to, to speak out, those people who are like aware of what's going on around them. You can teach these young people how to be acoustic artists, singer songwriters, um, as well as like it. That's, it's a way that's a lot cheaper than a lot of other programming um, to where if you are cutting funding, but like you can still invest in these students and invest in their voices and invest in their minds. And when it comes to everything else with, I mean, alcohol consumption and suicide rates being higher. I mean, through everything that's going on around us, we're at a a really strange point right now to where we are very critical on everybody. Um, if you have different beliefs than me, we're down your throat. If you have uh, different opinions than me, we're down your throat. Um, we oftentimes jump to calling people the worst that we can call them when we disagree with somebody. Um, and a lot of times that just seems like internet banter. And a lot of times that just seems like, I don't know, people arguing, but people don't realize that that stuff sticks. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And a lot of people, when you're constantly harped on and constantly harped on and constantly harped on, um, you're going to start self-deprecating and it's like it's very easy for so-and-so to have a bad day at work and come home and like get yelled at online or like constantly be looking at your peers online and comparing yourself and especially when you're dealing with depression and anxiety it's like you're constantly paranoid anyway and you're constantly like seeing other people above you and it's it's not hard for you to feel lower and constantly feel lower with everything that's going on around us um but we don't do a lot of work towards picking each other up. We don't do a lot of work to spread positivity. And that's kind of like why I keep my my blinders on and why I keep doing that work. Because so many young people, so many adults come up to me and they're like, hey, I needed this. They're like, hey, you know what? I was having one of those weeks and this helped me. Well, and I want to point something out. We were discussing the internet versus live meeting with people. So I don't remember. I, I, I'm ill-prepared for this part of the conversation because we didn't plan this part. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I know that, I, I, I can't remember, but I was reading something where it said people of different political beliefs if can have a fight online, but if they actually sit down and eat dinner together, yeah. they usually find that they agree on most issues with like slight policy differences. Yeah. And policy is, that's a whole other discussion we won't get into. Yeah. But uh, I think what's happening is there's identity issues going on and the internet is um, inflating them and uh, exaggerating them in some ways because you're right, it like becomes a comparison, a divider mm -hmm. instead of bringing people together. Whereas if you go to a poetry show or you go somewhere and you meet somebody who's different, has a different belief than you, you're more likely to be able to engage in some type of conversation that doesn't involve name calling and labeling right. and this narrative. And so you're talking, you know, so 
I know for the young people, there's this huge, they grew up with the internet in their pocket. And so there's a huge weird divide between their online life and then their life in the high school. But what I'm seeing, and I think, I don't know if you're seeing this, but the younger the person, I see less of a divide between their online self and their life in person because what's happening is like the bullying that's happening online. Somebody might not say it, but it's almost like it's affecting them as much because they're so connected to the Mm -hmm. internet device where I'm 35, so I didn't have a cell phone until I was 23, Mm -hmm. and I didn't have a smartphone until my girlfriend was like, you need to get a freaking smartphone (laughs) because you can't receive my texts and emojis, and this is like, (laughs) I think I was... 28 or something like that i finally got a smartphone and like got out of being an old man and um and i got addicted to it immediately but uh i remember then i was like oh my gosh this is like a whole new level it's like it's like a spare brain like sitting around like a spare memory so and and then with these online profiles you know things are staying on there forever i mean you can take stuff off but it's up there so a lot of people a lot of the youths life is being spent online especially if they are stressed especially if their parents are stressed economically and don't have that time to Mm -hmm. spend with them or they're too rich economically and don't have this time to spend with them so we're talking about a lot of different very big general topics but i think what we're kind of boiling down to a little bit is poetry art self-expression sports any of that it's all important it's Mm -hmm. the sports is just as important as the arts um and it just seems to be that they're cutting arts yeah um where sports is not necessarily always being cut uh, right. because <laughs> that leads to i don't know what but excitement <laughs> for the parents yeah. i don't know yeah i don't know but um uh, so it, it's important for people to learn how to be a person that's something else i if i had my druthers i would create a public education course that um teaches people not psychology it teaches them concepts of emotions uh concepts from psychology but not in a psycho psychology way more like learn about your emotions because i don't think there's many parents out there that even know their emotions that are willing to teach their kids um learn how to budget learn um what your rights are as a worker learn what um choices there are for college and what choices there are for vacational schools Mm -hmm. uh for right now i mean we're seeing a shift of in economics um construction jobs real estate oh yeah uh certain service jobs actually pay better or are more available than uh-huh. certain getting a degree uh-huh. you're in debt for a degree that has no correlation uh-huh. to a job <clears throat> to a job so i think we're in, we're in a bit of a weird crisis because um part of our country is doing really well and there's lots of great abundance and then part of our society all around us this isn't just like a section it's like all around grand rapids is really struggling and it's not just economic but the economics do affect uh, stress levels of parents and that does affect the youth and then that affects mental health further um and so because it's all about being human Mm -hmm. and we all have and we're now we're talking inside a box of society that's we're kind of discussing and education in particular um but I, I think it's very important. The poetry is a rich fabric in society, and music is a rich fabric in the society, and storytelling is a rich fabric in the society. And if it's, and I, I don't remember where I read this, but I, I heard someone tell me if, if a society loses its story and its narrative, uh, it falls apart. So I think what's happening now is uh, recently I've been just kind of contemplating this, which has nothing to do with poetry, but I believe people are... Uh, kind of confused 
over what they want the narrative to be and where we, where we want it to go. Some yeah. people want the narrative to go back in time mm -hmm. and kind of freeze frame. And some people are wanting the narrative to go forward. And I feel like where's the middle ground that we can sort of inch forward together? Yeah. Like, where's that? Yeah. You know, where's our story going? Because <laughs> we have a lot of choices. It's twenty. By the way, this podcast was recorded in 2017 in October. <laughs> so we have we don't know what's happening in November yet. Right. Of uh, 2017 or December. <laughs> so if you're listening to this, then well, you can send us an email. <laughs> anyway, so that we're kind of getting he, totally into the society comment, but I want to talk about that, but then get kind of get back to poetry because I think poetry can change people's lives. I know it changed my life when I was younger as well, I got into writing poetry and stuff when I was in high school and it was a way to express myself where writing to a journal felt really boring. Yeah. Writing a poem was cool. Yeah. And fun. No, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, one thing that I find too is especially when it comes to young men and young boys, like a lot of them don't jump into journaling because they're like, Oh, I don't want to have like a diary. Right. Um, but, I mean, if you show them that, like, hey, if pretty much but calling it by another name, hey, if you use poetry, if you use creative writing to, like, talk about what you're going through, you can look back on this in six months, a year, two years now, and you can see how much you've grown. And if you see how much you grow continuously, your mindset, how much you move past this, like, you're going to see that you can, like, overcome and push through this. Um, and that's what we really try to inspire young people to do is just continue to, to watch themselves grow and move past where they used to be and continue to just try to be better people. I like that. Yeah, that's a big thing. And uh, that's actually a therapy concept uh, is trying to find your voice, trying to find your narrative within yourself, no matter what trauma happens to you or what depression hits you. It's not about just becoming happy and having some sort of idyllic life that they show you in a commercial on television mm -hmm. if you buy a certain deodorant. It's about um, finding finding your voice and your story and meaning. And that, I mean, that's goes back to existential therapy. That's in um, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. That is in um, a lot of different types of therapy. I can't even remember right now. But poetry is therapy and music is therapy, I think. For me, it has been. For, um, I mostly write music now. I don't really write too much poetry except for maybe some lyrics. But if you read them alone, I don't know. Maybe I'll come down to Stella's. And... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wear a mask. And... No, I'm sorry. No. Uh, so, so actually speaking of poetry, I, I'm really glad that you're doing this. And I really hope that you continue to get funding. Um, and so if anybody has extra money and they don't know what to do with it, you know, donate to mental health. What is it? Mental health awareness. Uh, the Mental Health Foundation of West Michigan. Mental Health Foundation and the Diatribe. The Diatribe. So I'm sure they're accepting donations. Yep. Fable's accepting donations. Yeah. I'm sure driving around the country isn't cheap. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to go ahead. Thoughts? Oh, no, I was saying, yeah, if people are like, hey, what is this guy all about? If they look up www.gofundme.com slash the unpacking tour, oh. um, they can find my book, my CD, they can find t-shirts, um, they can find uh, my tour mates t-shirts and books, um, but if they want to take something with them and also just dive through everything as well as support the tour um, or artistry, they can also go about that as well. That is awesome. I had no idea yeah. that was a thing <laughs> until just now. So I love that. Um, I wanted to, I mean, I think we're in agreement of what's going on. What do we do about it? I think we need, I think it'd be cool, an ideal world to get off the internet a little bit. Um, yeah. 
I I have a acquaintance who draws comics, and he drew a comic of the uh, like an AA meeting or a, <laughs> like a recovery meeting, and it was like, what are you here for? Pills? What are you here for? Heroin? What are you here for? Alcohol? What are you here for? Phone? What are you here for? Phone? What are you here for? Phone? Phone? It's <laughs> <laughs> like seven people, and, and I think that's kind of a tragedy. So it's like if we get uh, like that's what I see. When kids get out and they finally get over their anxiety of going out, yeah. which builds up when you don't go out. Yeah. You go to a poetry event, you go to a music event, open mic. I remember I go, went to open mic, and I was scared, I was terrified, and when I finally performed, people were s- s- clapping. Mm-hmm. And even if they were just clapping to be polite, it felt good yeah. to be able to do whatever. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, if you're out there, and who I don't care who you are, but if you find yourself on the phone or the internet too much, limit yourself. Um, yeah. One thing I've been doing is setting a timer on my phone. If I just am on the internet for entertainment value, I'll set a timer, and when the timer goes off, I do my best to throw my phone onto the couch and leave it there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so get out there and do something. You um, you won't, you know, that's not a, there's no cure. Uh, you know, f- there's not one cure for depression. It's like a pie. There's like usually eight to 10 things. Could be biological, could be diet, could be exercise, could be uh, dealing with your trauma, could be needing counseling. You might even need medications if you feel like you can't um, get out of a rut um, for a time. You may need uh someone to help you that uh, like a mentor there's multiple ways but one of the ways to is isol is getting rid of your isolation isolation mm-hmm. is the thing that makes every symptom you've ever had worse mm-hmm. so however you don't want to be around abusive people so try to f- be discerning and find a group that you feel is accepting mm-hmm. um, of you without some sort of strings attached so that's for the listeners out there whoever you are um, and I think it can apply to everybody I I wanted to to kind of turn the reins back over to you, um, Fable, to yeah. maybe um, do maybe talk uh, read us some poems. Is that cool? Yeah, I can read a poem. Once it hatches, a caterpillar first starts to feed on the egg in which it was born. Then the leaves around it. In 12 to 24 hours, it will shed its skin. It will repeat this process multiple times so it can grow. But once big enough, hormones will dictate that it stops eating. Before it makes the final transformation, it will choose a spot under a covered location and build a chrysalis. This stage is called pupa. They break themselves into nothing. Devours itself. After 15 days, a butterfly emerges. The series of changes in a butterfly's lifespan is called metamorphosis. So now I'm sitting there watching this Animal Planet show about butterflies because who can stay upset when looking at butterflies, right? Yet there I was, a snot tear extravaganza, ugly face, cherry on top, sprinkled with that hideous dying lion seal noise the one people make when they are really upset, like, crying my eyes out. I can laugh about it now because I learned about the cycle. It starts with feeding. Destroying and engulfing the very things that gave it life the same way I did my mother. The same way I proceed to with lovers, friends, my environment, and people that unknowingly become new leaves for me to turn over when I crave destruction, not yet willing to take it out on myself though I always do. Somehow, they are always kind enough to take me back every time I metabolize them and shed dead layers of myself though I don't deserve it. 
They often fought with a, you should be so proud of how much you've grown, but I never am. They don't know that each time my hunger evolves alongside me, it becomes larger. I strive to take up more space no matter how minute I feel. Every time I feel even close to big enough, I stop eating, fill myself on excuses. I forgot today I was too busy, and worst, I don't deserve it until I pick a spot under a covered location. The documentary called this the pupa stage. Is my couch not a chrysalis or cocoon? The bathroom floor. The bed in the guest room away from the woman I love. The place I lock myself away for days from nurture. Are they not that protective layer? The place I wrap myself in to feel whole before breaking into nothing so I feel safe enough to spread my wings. When you are laying there motionless, this is when your mind does nature's magic. Body still metabolizing itself. After days, I emerge, the vibrant flowing being that so many see. When battling anxiety, bipolar, and depression, ask yourself, isn't it strange how a caterpillar's transformation into a butterfly can look so much like me? Thank you very much for reading that. That was very excellent. What do you call that one? Uh, one is going to be an intro to a new book that I'm working on, it's intro to Metamorphosis, and the other is going to be the first poem in that book or the last poem in the book. I don't know how I'm arranged the collection yet, but it's called Butterfly. Very cool. And I think this poem speaks for itself, so I'm not going to ask you to analyze it. <laughs> uh, I know that musicians don't like analyzing their songs yeah. unless you really feel like telling your story about it. I was going to ask you so you can do that, or I was going to ask you... Um, since, uh, I want to hear more from you. I, I wanted to know just like something that you, has been interesting, like, like has been piquing your interest lately. It could be anything. If you don't have anything, I've got a backup question. Just something that's been like on your mind. Um, so I, I like to tie people that I've worked with together and I worked with Kendall College of Art and Design, um, who's like animating two, three of my poems, um. And I also do a lot of work with Mental Health America. So I connected these people together. And Kendall College of Art and Design is doing a video about anxiety and a video about depression and a video about bipolar disorder, basically encouraging people to take the test to see if they are also struggling with these things. So it's like, anxiety looks like da 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 So if you are facing anxiety, go and take this test. And if you do, please seek help. Um, and... When I was watching all these videos, it was so strange because it's like I know that I have these and I know everything that I go through. But it's like when you see people going through it and then like you're watching it and you're just like, oh, yeah, I do do that. Oh, yeah, I do do that. Oh, dang, I do do that. It's just like really, really interesting. So it's crazy like looking at the world from the outside. And Okay, so you are you involved in those videos or you're just watching them? I was just watching them. They brought me in to give my perspective on if it's accurate or not. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you they you were like a test person. Yeah. So and so, uh, I guess that makes me. You don't have to answer this, but do you? How do you ident? How do you identify with mental health? Like what? What do you? What do you have a stance like on what you say about yourself? Do you? Are you open with that at your shows? Like I'm pretty what? open about all of it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, here's my counseling thing. The newest newest book from the psychiatry manual is all about spectrum. 
Mm-hmm. So the way, I, and this is something I've been learning about from neurobiology is that everybody's on a spectrum mm-hmm. and we shift. It's no longer you're stamped with this. Mm-hmm. You probably have a tendency towards anxiety or a tendency towards depression or a tendency towards bipolar or a tendency towards something. Now, if certain things get shaped up like your environment or genetics or whatever, then it gets moved along the, along the range to a nine or a 10, which could mean that you fit the code for the diagnosis at that point in your life. Mm-hmm. Now, at another point in your life, you may not fit the code for the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. But for instance, most major diagnosis, most average person probably fits two or three of the thing. But to have a diagnosis, usually you have to fit five or six elements for blank number of time to be given the diagnosis by a doctor. Now, that's because it is a subjective thing. But mental health, this is just the way we categorize it. So there, we're categorizing it to bring up self-awareness, sounds like what Kendall Gawad is doing, to bring up like, oh, wait a minute, you mean there's another way to live? Like I could cope yeah. with these symptoms and right. feel better and exactly yeah. like, you know, get some help and all that and and not just feel like something's wrong with me. Because mm-hmm. that's a big thing I've, I've, I'm uh, trying to help people with, like is that there's nothing wrong with you. It's just right mm-hmm. now this you're on the far end of the spectrum of anxiety and it sucks. Mm -hmm. And right now you're on the spectrum of depression, but you don't always have to be at a level nine. You might get down to a level five. In fact, with a lot of time and, and, uh, you know, different activities and treatment and different things, you could get down to a one. Mm -hmm. Um, Recovery actually works. I mean, the issue is each person's got to be able to find out what that means for them in, in not, and, be able to reflect that from at least some type of knowledge, whether it be from books or from a person or from a doctor or from a counselor. Um, And if you meet a counselor or a doctor that tells you that you are forever going to have (laughs) bipolar and you have to take this drug for the next 60 years, (laughs) uh, I can't tell you what to do, but my opinion is that you should find a new doctor and a new counselor. Because that is not how these diagnoses work. Now, if you have cancer, that is a real thing you find in your blood. But not everybody with cancer dies of cancer. Right. But mental illnesses cannot be detected by blood tests. Right. They are a subjective uh, report that we try to be objective on. So, but everyone has symptoms of something. And at various times in your life, you might have a major depressive episode or something like that. So, it's important to uh oh the mailman just came okay (laughs) let's say what that noise is it's important to be able to get educated about it another thing i see uh, so there's the people that are totally unaware and they need to watch those videos then another thing i see because of the internet back to the internet again uh people will come in and tell me they have five disorders (laughs) because they were up all night on webmd and convinced themselves that they had all this stuff but see i'm the clinician so you know, somebody's like, I have ADHD, OCD, ODD, post-traumatic stress, and I'm stressed, and I'm depressed. Uh. And so what I'll do is I'll say, hold on there a moment, and I'll do a long assessment for an hour, and I'll find out, okay, sounds like you actually have pretty much a major depressive episode going on, which accounts for a lot of the feelings of not being able to pay attention. And so, like, you know, if you have there's certain diagnosis that can be better accounted for. So and then I have to rule out all the other ones because sometimes they do you do have multiple things going on if you have not 
uh, if, you know, first of all, if you've been isolated for a long time and you haven't gotten treatment or some traumatic thing happened to you and you haven't gotten help, it doesn't have to be through a doctor or a counselor. It can be other ways. People, a lot of people don't go to counseling. But if you feel like you need to, please go. Mm-hmm. That, that's what I would say. Um, I don't know how I got off on that tangent. I guess I was just trying <laughs> to educate people a little bit about mental health and what we do. Um, and it's important to find a, a, a counselor that feels like they have your best interests in mind. And especially, uh, it's a, a very important to find doctors. There's lots of different doctors out there. There's doctors that are alternative doctors. There's psychiatrists. And it's important to, there's not one answer. There are empirically proven tests that go a certain way, but um, there's not just one cure for stuff. So uh, it's important to do your research, but also get with people. Do not just sit on the internet and research your mental health. That's not useful. Go talk to people, okay? And if you feel discriminated against, then uh, go talk to other people. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, So that that was... uh, yeah, I appreciate you sharing that poem, which led to that, you know, trying to educate the audience a little bit. Um, and some people are clinicians listening to this, too. So, uh, you know, we're all struggling with something. You know, there's that quote. I can't remember who said it, but be kind. Everyone is fighting a difficult battle, which is life. And mm-hmm. I can't remember who said that, but somebody said something like that. <laughs> so I... I Wanted to also introduce the listeners to one of your songs that you shared. Yeah. So I want to play that right now, and then maybe we could talk about it for a minute. Cool. All right. This is for the ones that are labeled. Don't let that change anything that you feel about yourself. Don't mind me. Don't mind me, because this one is meant to be quiet said doctors about the child stillborn, moving. Said factors of the lifestyle I still live, yet soothing me more than the antidepressants because isn't it depressing how life works sometimes, yet isn't it refreshing how life works sometimes, I'm sorry. I guess that's the bipolar. When you can go from your childhood theme song matching Saturday morning cartoons and understanding why you love ninjas, pizza, and turtles to not understanding why life's hurdles seem to match Berlin walls as you cumble to pharmaceutical commercials because the jingle over the symptoms matches the dinner bell. And you're starving to feel normal. Your own arm always looks a little bit more appetized when you feel trapped, so smother that. No, where's the salt? Because I know one of you is willing to throw it, and I may have open wounds. It won't heal soon, so if you are going to throw it, could you please pass the paper shaker? It is normal to eat three meals a day, and this would make a great one. But do you suffer from bulimia if you're coughing up your differences instead of meals? What's normal? Sometimes I reminisce. I get sad. Is that depression? Should life lessons be forget that stepdad one try to fight me every day because a pill will fix that? Erase the memory of my grandest father figure trying to figure out why I can't bear to see him change with time. Because I was told through Alzheimer's disease he might forget me anyway this one time. About killing myself, that's not normal. What's normal? I hear the symptoms are having both parents happy and functional. Functional being what you see is actually what you get. And those skeletons, if there are skeletons, will be safely swept under the rug, out of sight, out of the mind, as if the blind are happier people. Happy? That's normal. And not bothering that you won't, because you can't, because you are too to do it. And I wish they never, so I never felt not normal. You shouldn't bottle unless prescribed. It's not normal. Neither is my disorder, apparently, and for some scary reason, I'm able to 
25% out child in the world isn't bipolar, then I ask, why does the globe have two? Not to think that my emotion percent is more relevant than my race, because face it, with the globe being 20% black, 10% Hispanic, 12% biracial, I'm forced to equally manage my emotion disorder in order of issue, get a tissue, race, because face it, I'm a minority anyway. A 25% of a 12% leave me feeling roughly 3% normal, but this is for the paper shakers. The ones whose hands match leaves and fall at an open mic, but don't because they aren't normal. Praise it. Using crowds' ears like medication because it's cheaper. Face it. The only insurance we need is people showing us, hey, someone is willing to listen. Genuinely listen, even if it's us. This once, hold your phone, but not the applause and look in awe at the people here brave enough to feel. Normal, just trying to feel normal. My little brother was named after the prior who was stillborn, but he is moving through life as a reminder to me that being still is not what we are born. And life can suck, but duck the punch and suck it up. Don't suck a punch, the ones lucky enough to find their passion and their sanity. Dot pen, script paper, chasing their eating disorders by feeling sort of, sort of normal. Have you ever contemplated suicide? Do you ever get depressed? Why at times does it feel like there's nothing left, but there is everything? The same reason people pay no attention to art, but paint, pay to record, but tune everybody else out. Find out the world's north and south poles are milestones, and appreciate them no matter what you have, because sometimes you will be the only one who will. The only one. And there's not a pill to fix that. That's a fact. It's a fact. It's a fact. It's a fact. Don't mind me. Don't mind us. Wow. I really like that song. I actually remember hearing it at the library. I think you played that one. It was very cool. Yeah. Uh, that's an understatement. Okay, so... <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about, is this off an album you're making, or what? what is this for? Yeah, it's off an album called Project Castaway. So my first published collection of poems is called Adrift in a Sea of M&Ms. Um, and it's poems all about dealing with mental health, all about being a multicultural individual in America, and about all that experience. Um, and I made an album called Project Castaway, um, it's all about being adrift in all of these things. It's literally every single poem from the book, but it's brought to life with audio. Um, so in ways, it's kind of like an audio book, except it has full composition behind it. Drums, guitar, trumpet, sax, French horn, cello, um, tuba, uh, trombone, just a slew of incredible musicians that bring all the poetry to life and make it heard the way it was meant to be heard. Um, and Project Castaway, uh, or you can just look up Fable the Poet. You can access that on Spotify. You can look up Fable the Poet on Pandora. You can look me up on uh, iTunes. You can look me up on SoundCloud. Um, any major form of listening to audio, you can look up Project Castaway or Fable the Poet. Um, I believe Fable the Poet is the easier way to look it up. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. I think that's definitely worth listening. I'm going <laughs> to have to talk to you about <laughs> not going to copy of that later. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I really appreciate you. you. You know, I can see that you really throw your heart and soul into these into these poems. And I think that is probably why you have been able to make this your career, because I don't see you holding back uh, in, you know, I don't know. I, I, I 
there's not some sort of framing that you need to maintain. I feel like you're just going with the poem. You're following the muse or something. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I very much write about life experience, and I very much write about where I'm at, and it's great that that also helps other people navigate through what they're going through, but I feel like that makes it, it it's, it's a lot more easier to connect to each poem when you are reading it because it is your story and it is your experience, and you're putting yourself right back where you were when you wrote it. Yeah, I was going to, I actually have a question that I didn't know I was going to ask, but I'm going to ask it. So when you go perform all these shows, like, and you're doing one of your poems where it was like a very emotional time in your life. Um, I'm just curious about your experience being on stage, uh, connecting with the poem and the emotion. Do you, does it bring you back sometimes or tell me about a little bit about that? Yeah, I would say that eight times out of 10, it definitely brings me back to where I wrote it. Um, and it's exhausting, but relieving at the same time, um, just because I feel like I get to lift so much off my shoulders and continuously talk about things that for a long time I didn't talk about. So each time I talk about it, it makes it a lot easier and easier and easier to navigate through it. Um, and it makes it hurt less and less comfortable, less uncomfortable to deal with every single time that I do it. Um, so that's huge. Um, yeah. Very cool. Uh, hopefully, if you're listening to this, I'm trying to release this very soon so that you could actually see Fable the Poet on tour uh, when he's in your city. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to... I'm going to definitely have you close out with a poem in a few minutes, but I, I want to just read a few quotes of poetry and get your first reaction. This is called The Lightning Round. Yeah. I didn't know about this. Uh Poetry is ordinary language raised to the nth power. Poetry is boned with ideas, nerved, and blood. Well, I can't read. Let's go with that. Nerved and blooded with emotions, all held together by a delicate, tough skin of words. That was somebody writing about poetry in the New York Times. Yeah. What are your thoughts about that? I very much agree. It is like, it is your life water, especially when you get to a certain point. It is everything that's flowing in and out of you, and it and it, and it beats in and out of you. Um. Yeah, and I feel like your body is just a being that holds it inside, and you got to constantly let it out. So this is something that I actually thought of when I heard your poem, Don't Mind Me, the one we played on this podcast. Uh, there's a poet, poet named Allen Ginsberg who was really out there, expressive about everything all the time. Like, he couldn't hold back. And he, he said about poetry, poetry is not an expression of the party line. It's that time of night, lying in bed, thinking what you really think, making the private world public. That's what the poet does. Yeah, I feel like all of my favorite poems are exactly that. They're raw. They're not just the things that some people might consider fluff, but they're the things that, like, gosh, I didn't want to say that for so long, and they said it, and ugh, it's, like, so good. It's like I, the truth. Yeah. <laughs> so, interestingly, I had to interrupt because I was just thinking about in, in counseling a lot of the one of the processes is making somebody helping somebody feel safe enough to actually say the truth of what they're actually thinking mm -hmm. without their filters on. And that actually can be really freeing. They say the truth will set you free. Well, it does. And a lot of times we don't want to, we don't want to admit the truth of what happened to us or what we're thinking or what we went through because it's shameful. We feel guilty. We feel uh, less than or whatever. Uh, but it's because we haven't integrated that into our story 
And so I think through poetry, you're integrating your story and making it part of you now, not just uh, something you don't want to talk about Mm -hmm. from the past. So here's another one by Robert Graves from the 40s, 1946. To be a poet is a condition, not a profession, which I thought was kind of fun because (laughs) it is your profession, (laughs) but it's also a condition. Like you have to write. I was wondering if you identify with that at all. Oh, I definitely can identify with that. Excellent. A couple more. Ooh, I'm saving that one. Okay. This is, I mean, this is a bunch of, you know, a lot of these are from the New York Times. Poetry is the revelation of a feeling that the poet believes to be interior and personal, which the reader recognizes as his own. Yeah. My comment on that is sometimes when I'm reading a poetry book, I feel like they're reading my thoughts. Mm -hmm. Not in the way that I think the television is reading my thoughts, but sort of like, oh my gosh, like this person is thinking or writing things that I've literally thought, which I think is so cool. And that is hard to find. Yeah. That's hard to do. It's hard, <laughs> I'm sure. So I, I guess I commented on that. One. <laughs> you said, yeah, but do you have yeah. anything else to say about no, that? That's exactly what it is. That's the biggest compliment to is when people are like, Hey, I heard myself in this or like, I felt myself in this. It's like, yeah. So I got two more. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe this is a repetition. We'll see. E.B. White said this, a poet dares to be just so clear and no clearer. He unzips the veil from beauty, but does not remove it. A poet utterly clear is a trifle glaring. Actually, I have no idea what that means. You want to comment <laughs> on that? Um, I mean, it, it can definitely be a lot for people when you are 100% raw in yourself. Um, there are people that can be uncomfortable with somebody else's truth and what somebody is putting out there, but it is beautiful in the same. And a lot of people, especially when they're talking about things that are raw and they're talking about it without a filter and they're talking about their truth, it might not be somebody's else. It might not be somebody else's truth, but it's undeniably beautiful when somebody can say that with that type of conviction and transparency. And I feel like, yeah, I can, I can definitely relate with it. I like that. Actually, that reminds me of when I was at the library hearing all the poets um, read their, or just say their poems, actually, they weren't really reading. Um, I was, at parts, I was very uncomfortable. Uh, I was like, wow, that is really, I'm like scared for this person, slash upset, slash, mm-hmm. you know, brought up a lot of feelings. And I, and as I said, I saw people crying and I was like, my toes were curled up and I was like, oh my gosh, this is like hardcore. And then you see them come out at the end of the poem, like triumphant, like, yeah it was awesome so uh my last quote which i really liked which i hopefully this you'll see this as a compliment is from wallace stevens he wrote the poet is the priest of the invisible yeah absolutely it's like that's the one thing that i was always taught that i try to teach in every single one of my workshops is that a poet's job is to be a voice for the people that don't feel like they have a voice and like that's what it is at the end of the day and you can write about your story, and if your story helps people find their voice, then great, but you should always write for the voiceless, be it the voice that you didn't feel that you had or people that you see that are unable to speak for themselves. Very good. Okay, on that note, um, we're almost to the end of the podcast, so I was wondering, uh, I was going to have you read a poem, but before you read the poem, is there anything left to say that you had in your mind that you didn't get to say? Um, no, it's just, uh, if you want to come see a show or you're wondering, Hey, when is fable going to come out to my neck of the woods? 
if you look up facebook.com fable the poet um you'll see events on there and i always post what universities i'm going to and what cities and what states that i'm going to um or you can look up mindoffable.com uh for any new information any new news stories any new articles on everything that i do uh also new videos and whatnot you can find on there you can also find links to all my social media if you're somebody who likes instagram fable is truth on instagram if you're somebody who likes twitter fable is truth on twitter if you're somebody who likes uh facebook i already said fable the poet on facebook um or you can look up uh fable the poet on youtube soundcloud uh spotify any other gem but please 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 stay in touch if you have questions feel free to reach out i always try to respond to all my facebook messages within like two three days um, I always like to give thoughtful responses until I get overwhelmed, but I always get back. Um, so yeah, yeah, please, please, please stay in touch. Yes. I'm really glad you gave all that information <laughs> and I would encourage listeners of this show to check out Fable's work and share it. And especially, I mean, this is for all ages, I think. Um, however, I know the listener demographic of my show is, um, usually over 21 and, 70% of you are listening from Canada. I have hey. no idea how that happened, but that's what Podbean <laughs> is telling me. So everyone in Canada, hi, we're in Michigan. We're sort of like your little stepbrother or stepsister here in Michigan, okay. um, parts of it. Uh, so uh, if you're from Canada, we'd love to hear from you. And bring Fable to Canada. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, and also, it, this is the other thing I was going to say. People are mostly over 21 that listen to this show. So if you have... Uh, teenagers or youth that you feel uh would be inspired by fables work i think this you know obviously within certain age groups maybe younger some of the material is raw so i i mean maybe if they're like 10 they might not understand it or under but it, i think this would be a very good um way to get them exposed to poetry yeah. uh and then to actually be able to see the poet and not just a poet that wrote in the 1930s is no longer living so i mean that's cool to study history but so i'm advocating that people bring you to canada and buy their kids books and if you're in america go to the shows yeah okay so i am going to give this um last piece over to fable and then uh, we're out cool uh this is the intro to my book adrift in the sea of m&ms if you want the book a hard copy of the book you can get it directly from the publisher on amazon just look up uh, Fable the Poet or Adrift in a Sea of M&M's. Ever since we saw a poor Aladdin caress cold brass, creating riches. A Robin Williams voice genie animated with a smile that will last longer than the memory of him being seen as genuinely happy. Everyone has always wanted that one wish. I wish I could get through this. Trust me, you can. I wish at times suicide didn't seem so appealing. Remember, a robin flew to the heavens. Please make other plans. Keep fighting through the I wish it didn't happen to me, yet here you stand. Stronger. Weathered. Whether you know it or not, others have experienced this process. You are the driftwood crafted from a hurricane of experiences, no one the same, bask in that for a while. You are an example to others. 
a masterpiece that proved worthy of display. Those skeletons hanging, bring them out of the closet. Accessorize them with new J's and fresh shell toes, heels, or flats. Hell, put them in a picture frame. Do not bother with a do not touch sign. Let the oils of people's fingerprints leave imprints just as unique as you. Leave those ripples on your open wounds. I know crimson stains the same as fresh paint, but don't be ashamed of the scars. One day, they will heal. You just need to live to tell the story. Promise me that you will live to tell the story. That you will encourage others to do the same. Your story needs to be heard. Believe this. I know when drowning, breathing is hard or wanting to. But promise me, you will be the robin once spiraling to the ground that chose to give flying another try. Wishes are like prayers. Fueled by faith. I believe in you. And there you have it. It was excellent talking with Marcel Fable Price. He's a very gifted person, and he's really using his gifts in a way in this world, which is truly inspiring by helping other people uh, just by telling his story and trying to tell the stories of people who can't tell them. And I am very glad that I've gotten to meet him and see him perform. And uh, I'm really lucky to live in a city that is um, helping Fable uh, with his poetry and promoting him as a way to help kids and other people. So uh, that's, it was really great to interview him. This has been the Intentional Clinician with Paul Kraus, licensed professional counselor. I am now based in Grand Rapids, Michigan. You can reach me directly at 616-365-5530. That's 616-365-5530. I work at a clinic called Health for Life Grand Rapids, where we have four other counselors um, who do counseling of all different kinds. So you can check out our webpage at healthforlifegr.com. And we also have a hypnotherapist who strictly does hypnotherapy. Um, and we probably are going to have her on the podcast at some point, And she is fantastic. I actually had some hypnotherapy done and it was highly effective. I was pretty impressed with her skill level. And we also have two naturopathic uh, licensed physicians from Arizona who are working in this office, providing education in Michigan. And also um, Dr. Nicole Kane is back in Scottsdale, Arizona. She'll be back in November for a little while, also January, February, March, a little while uh, every year to make sure she is maintaining her license and seeing patients in Arizona as well. Um, we're a growing office, so if you want to know more, healthforlifegr.com. You can give, our, give us a call during Monday through Friday, 9 to 5 at 616-200-4433 if you have questions. You can also email me uh, if you have more questions and you want help. Um, we're working locally. But um, also the doctors uh, do distance appointments, and I am doing some distance appointments as well well within the scope of my license. And uh, let's see, we're also hoping to cook up some cool workshops for online um, as well coming up to be able to help more and more people with their health. And so there you have it. If you need resources locally, um, Grand Rapids 
or Michigan, this is a good place to come. And if you're in Arizona, you can also see Dr. Kane or Dr. Bennett there or um, with Telemann as well. So that's some of what's going on here. And uh, thanks for listening to The Intentional Clinician. If you'd like to subscribe and rate our podcast on iTunes, we'd love that. And you can also subscribe on Podbean as well. So whoever you are, um, thanks for listening. The recording you just listened to consists of the personal opinions of Paul Krauss and Fable the Poet. And while the opinions of Paul Krauss as a clinician are based upon literature he has read and experience in the field, they should not be viewed as the definitive opinion on the subject. Listening to this podcast is not a substitute for treatment. If you are in need of counseling, don't hesitate to make an appointment with a local counselor in your area. You can also make an appointment with Paul or one of his associates, and that information is on healthforlifegr.com or paulkrauscounseling.com. If you are in need of a counseling supervisor, you can go to counselingsupervisorgr.com. If you are in a crisis, please call 911 immediately or the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, which is 1-800-273-8255 or 1-800-273-TALK. All right, until next time, you've been listening to The Intentional Clinician. Tell me a brief story about your favorite food memory. Um, one of my favorite food memories was I met uh, my girlfriend, who I'm with today, uh, and we went to Olive Garden, I'd say two years ago, and I ordered fettuccine Alfredo, and she was like, Alfredo, that's disgusting. It tastes like baby puke. And then for two years, I never ate Alfredo because I was like, gosh, you'll never share Alfredo with me. And uh, a few months ago, I ordered uh, Alfredo, and she was like, oh, that's so gross. So I was like, wait, have you ever had Alfredo? And she's like, no, but it smells gross. So I dipped a breadstick in it and then let her bite it. She was like, can we have another side of Alfredo? And oh, then, yeah. she's been converted. <laughs> converted to the, uh, the, the white side. Italian sauce. Right? Yeah. There you go. Okay, let me...